Yeah, so um, my name's John Leslie. I'm 28 years old, uh, currently living in Whistler, British Columbia, uh, originally from a small town just outside of Ottawa called Armprior, and I've been on the Canadian National Paralympic Snowboard Team since 2011. Um, so that's kind of who I am. And then, yeah, recently with COVID um, and international travel and competition being kind of like on lockdown, um, it's given me a lot of opportunity to like reconnect with my community, mm-hmm. old homies, yeah. Um, and yeah, with a lot of like these charities and foundations that I normally work with, kind of going to more of a virtual like online thing. Like it's just given an opportunity to, you know, I've had ample spare time and you know online ways to get stuff done. So so you're born in Ottawa. Yep. And you grew up oh, there. Well, born in Winnipeg. Born in actually. Winnipeg. There okay. Yeah, well, born yeah. in. Okay, and then <laughs> moved to on prior. Yeah. As like with family, I guess? Yeah. So my dad was in the military. Um, So for the first like, let's say five years of my life, um, as he exited out of the military, we were in Winnipeg, Germany, uh, Ottawa. And then when my dad retired, we moved to a small town called Armprior. Okay. And I basically started elementary school in Armprior. Okay. So hometown for sure. Okay. (laughs) And then you had cancer as a kid there. Yep. And that's, okay, what what kind of cancer was it? Uh, So osteogenic sarcoma. So that's a form of bone cancer. It's the same cancer that Terry Fox had. Okay. So if you're a Canadian, it's like, it's a really easy thing to draw a connection to. But living in Whistler, it's crazy because, you know, 90% of people are UK, Australian or something like that. So I'll name drop Terry Fox and they're like, who? (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's frustrating. It, it, it's frustrating when like 90% of other people, it's right. like the one cancer that like out of all the cancers, like I have the like biggest person to like, you know, you know what I mean? Kind of like yeah. explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, same cancer as Terry Fox. Um, it happened. I was doing, uh, growing up in a small town in Ontario, I was playing a ton of hockey mm. and, um, during the winter there was like a bump that developed on my knee and we went to the doctor and they diagnosed it as cancer right away. And, you know, I was like on the fast track program for cancer treatment. So mm. it was very stereotypical. Like it was a year of chemotherapy about halfway through they amputated my leg um, you know, for a worst case scenario, everything worked out as well. There, there was no complications with surgery. The treatments worked really well. I was out of there after a year and um, moving on with my life. Yeah. yeah. What, what, like, do you look back on that differently than you were in the moment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's as- been interesting, like, the phases, uh, you know, just as you go through life, like, the immediate, like, when you're, because I was 10, so, like, you know, from when you're a kid and then, you know, being a teenager young adult and now like more mature young adult <laughs> like yeah. it's funny I, I throw I throw my parents a lot of text messages every once in a while being like yo I really appreciate this that you did you know like I didn't see it in the time but right. um, I'm really grateful for it now yeah when when you like you go to the doctor and they say you you have this cancer as a kid is that something that you, you can process or is that something that because I'm assuming then it's a whirlwind of yeah uh, it, procedures and doctors and crazy like you you don't yeah like you know something really bad is up but you're obviously not going to that so this was like my day for so like you're sitting in class and like the pa goes off like john and alex leslie who's my sister like come down to the office we like get down to the office and both my parents are there and this is like a work day my parents work like an hour in the city and Mm. i'm like okay this is strange so we like drive down to the park and my dad's just like he's a very honest person like which is i think 
important because you know when he's telling the truth and he's just like listen guys i got a phone call from the doctor today saying that i had to leave work and come into this appointment and he's like i have no idea what we're expecting but he's like we're gonna have to get through this as a family so we're like i was like whoa starting to freak out a little like this is gonna be scary but like you, you like i i kind of thought that like i was like oh my gosh is my leg gonna get amputated maybe like is it so bad that i'm gonna lose my leg and then we got to the hospital and they like pulled my parents in and they were in there for like an hour and then like my dad came out and he had like tears running down his face and my my family doctor had tears running down his face and like at that point i was like this is not good um but yeah, you just asked like what a kid would ask. Like, I want to know what my rate of survival was going to be. Um, so you know, they said there's a sixty percent survival rate. Um, I asked if I was going to lose my leg. They said yes, and I was just like, oh, like, what's going through your head at that point? As, as a like, ten year old, as a ten year old, <laughs> the first thing I want to do is to, like tell my friends for some reason, like not like in a bragging way, but just like, holy smokes, guys! Like, I can't believe this is happening. Like. You know, like almost like you're you're in disbelief, yeah. and you want to like you know run, like um, running off of other people just to like make sure you're not crazy. Yeah. But you know, like I think honesty was the biggest thing. Like I was in there on day one with my parents, receiving the same news as them, and you know there was probably moments where I couldn't comprehend it. But my parents always gave me the Coles Notes mm-hmm. version, and like I was just I was I always had a pulse on my situation, which I think was super important so nothing overwhelmed me because from the very first day you know like the book was completely open which would be tough to do with a 10 year old kid yeah Um, you know what i mean like i feel like there's got to be no other way though right and i'm sure unfortunately i'm sure these doctors do this all the time right yeah well that's why they pull them in first so it's like you know you can kind of viewer discretion with your child and stuff of how much you want them to know about yeah you know you could easily i could have easily gone in there and be like oh there's no chance of you dying you know that we're gonna do our best to like save your leg you know what i mean but it's like no no bs (laughs) yeah and and that's tough right because like if your kid has just been diagnosed with cancer a close friend all you want to do is you know shelter them and like you know like take some of the pain or stress off of them because you know that they're going through so much already and you know sometimes they just life's tough man you got to wear a helmet and yeah. <laughs> you know it, te- it teaches you resiliency so so you're 10 years old and you they you find out you're getting your leg amputated yeah are you thinking like okay what's my life going to be like because you said you were playing hockey were you snowboarding at the time or uh wasn't snowboarding okay. at the time just full-time hockey kid okay um did those things cross doing a little mind? bit of ski racing oh for sure yeah yeah those were i think those were the the biggest things on my mind um and that kind of played into like my surgery option mm-hmm. um which is pretty neato so we can get into that if you want yeah let's do it um so i had three surgery options so the cancer was like infested in my knee joint and so the first option was a straight amputation so terry fox style above the knee super straightforward um yeah uh, in terms of sport um you know you can be you can bang on them hard but a lot more sit down you know sit down basketball uh, sledge hockey mono skiing stuff like that was kind of presented to me at the time um then there was like an internal like metal bone to replace my knee it was like a super complicated surgery every time i grew they'd have to go in and lengthen bolts and stuff like that and then absolutely no chance of doing sport 
And then the third option, which was like a Van Ness rotation. So what they do is they cut you above your knee, they cut you below your knee, get rid of your knee, take your foot and stick it on backward. So basically your heel is your kneecap and like your toes or like your tibia, I guess. Right. And so that's the surgery option I went with, which really? is pretty crazy. I should have wore shorts, but yeah. So sorry, I'm messing up poor Ben's <laughs> angles. But yeah, those are my toes down there. Okay. And that's my heel right here. And then, yeah, with my brain, I can essentially control a knee joint. So those were the three options. You know, the, 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 the one that couldn't allow me to play sport was immediately off the table. Right. And even this one originally was off the table because I was like, that's freaky. I'm never going to have a girlfriend. Like, people aren't going to be friends with me. Like, oh, man. But because sport was so important and my parents, like, knew this, like, they went an extra step. They arranged for me to meet someone living with each of the surgery options that I had. Yeah. And when I went, the person, Tim, he actually lives in Vancouver, Vancouver now. Okay. Um, so he was like, I would have been 10. He would have been maybe 14 or 15. And he came and met me when I was going through cancer treatment because he had this right. surgery. Right. And he like long hair he came like hacky sacking down the driveway told me that he snowboarded mountain bikes skateboarded i was just like oh shit like life is going to basically be the exact same so um yeah tim was like my big mentor through all of that like he came and visited me while i was at the hospital and um so yes very long way of answering that like sport was definitely a huge factor in yeah. like decision making whether it was about my surgery or you know like going through treatment just like what kept me motivated was like just getting back out there with my friends playing sport you mm -hmm. know so that that procedure was that more like the risks involved with that one in particular were they different than the other ones like i said you said yeah well. they're pretty it, like it's a complicated surgery like it's a 12-hour thing there's a lot of risk for like um rejection and things like that but you know at the end of the day you try it and if it doesn't work you can still do the straight amputation option yeah. So I was like, but if you start with the straight amputation one, you can't go, you can't like, go dig your foot out of the bio bin. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you go through the procedure. You said it was about 12-hour procedure. Mm -hmm. You come out of that. What's the recovery process like or, or even? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm getting into much detail, but basically they leave a little space in your bone and then the bone connects and that kind of kills, like, Two birds with one stone, A, like after six weeks, you know that the bone's healed, and B, it's like a rejection thing, you know, that your body is accepting the surgery versus like if it wasn't healing and doing stuff. Um, so it was like six weeks, just like any sort of like broken bone. Um, things that really threw, you know, um, slowness into the whole thing was the chemotherapy, because mm -hmm. like you're just so weak things are unexpectedly happening you get infections like i had like a nosebleed for like three days one time really? just because like i didn't have any platelets and there was no platelets in ottawa so they had to like helicopter platelets in from like toronto because me and this other kid were just like bleeding out of our noses wow. um yeah so it was like random things like that kind of threw um some like um made the process a little longer um so yeah, like I would say within the year of cancer treatment, if I lost my leg at the six month mark, by the end of the six month mark on the other end, I was walking again. Right. Um, and then once the chemo started, it was like exponentially, you know, with energy, strength, muscle, um, 
you know, by the end of that summer, like I was back on my bike again. That winter, I was public skating, and by the following winter, like I was snowboarding again. Gotcha. When, yeah. So, the, and the chemo eradicated everything after that period of time. Yeah. So the chemo is just there to like, yeah, make sure there's no other cells in the body yeah. lingering around, like the type of cancer I had really likes to spread, in particular mm. to the lungs and the spine. Um, is that so, something that you got to keep up with even to this day, obviously, like in uh, terms of checks? Or is that something that it's... It, that's it's something gone, kind of in the past now. Okay. Um, but it was definitely like a huge part of my life for the first five years. Right. Um, so yeah, you're in there pretty, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like on average, let's say for five years monthly, yeah. you're in there. I know you had posted, I think, recently about um, the hospital that, that you had spent your time in. Yeah. And you had done a fundraiser, I think, yep. for yeah, that. Yeah, coming up. Yeah, yeah, oh, December 6th. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. And what's that? What's the fundraiser? Um, Is that so, like online or virtual now? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So yeah. it's normally a 24-hour ski and snowboard event that they host at Mount Tremblant. Okay. Um, but with, you know, social distancing and COVID, um, they've turned it into a, just a 24 hours of activity. Um, so I've got me and a couple friends in Ottawa with enough, we're hoping there's enough time difference and basically you just have to stay active for 24 hours. Um, so I'm going to, you know, go on some W's with Zach, um, hopefully do some split boarding, you know, probably hit the gym. Uh, and then like if someone in Ottawa, you know, wakes up early, we should be able to just keep someone moving the whole yeah. time. But yeah. 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 It's super cool. As a kid to go through something like that you hear these doctors and nurses and everyone that's taking care of you this important part of your life and and those and kids lives they yeah. go through this right so what was that like for you in yeah. terms of having that support from them obviously you had your family and stuff but. yeah it was like one and it's one of those things that you you know like we talked about at the start it's one of those things that you don't have appreciation for until you're a little bit older is you don't realize how many layers there is in life whether it's like you know just trying to get to, you know, walk your dog, like get groceries on time, like, you know, all these little things and, you know, the, the doctors and the staff for, for me, from my outlook, like eliminated a lot of those things. Like it made my time at the hospital fun. Like, mm. you know, I wasn't, you know, the, the hospital is a drag for a kid to start with and, and, and they just made, they just rounded that edge, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I could focus on like getting through the treatment and stuff mm. like that. F- like flash forward to like getting out of the hospital and getting back to your normal life. Yep. What's the adjustment like? As because you would have been how old at that point? Uh, so I would have been eleven. Eleven spit, to the following year. Of, yeah, spitting yeah. out of cancer treatment, and then like yeah, just, like it's one of like one of those takeaways. You know, like you know, had a really good community. So it was like you know, our empire at the time was only five thousand people. So like the the local newspaper kept in touch with my family. They had updates for the community and you know, we were vulnerable. Like we were going through like a an interesting time. But, you know, the community had our back and they were there through every step of the way. So there was no like it wasn't like a missed high five at the end of things. Mm. Um so like people were really good with just like taking it slow with me. Um I was included in everything, but just like Adapting was like the best word. Like I was dubbed the neighborhood goaltender because, you know, I clearly wasn't going to be the best runner anymore, but there was no reason for me not to be able to stop shots. So like, um, you know, when we, when I, like when I was still pretty weak after cancer treatment, like when we played dodgeball, like I was just in my wheelchair and like the fastest, biggest dude would just push me in the wheelchair (laughs) and just like, you know, um, so yeah, like the, the adjustment after that stuff was really just about like being patient with myself and mm. that 
you know, having the support from the people around me, like that made that a lot easier because I think I have a competitive nature and, you know, you always want the best of yourself. So when you're trying to learn how to walk again, you know, you got to be like patient and chill with the process. Yeah. Obviously you went through this process, but it's got to be tough for your parents too, or it had to have been tough for the parents to see their kid go through like. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Like, I think the, I think the hardest thing for a parent or for my parents looking back would have been you know letting me learn some of the tougher lessons in life whether it, like when it was in high school so to speak um you know you feel like not to say they you feel sorry for me but like i i you know straight up like i'd been through enough challenge in my life at that point and so like my parents obviously naturally want to try and deflect any sort of other challenge that comes at you but like that's just the way the dice rolled for me you know what i mean that doesn't mean i don't have to pay car insurance one day or i'm not gonna have to like pay mortgage on a house or anything like that so if you know if in some of those like critical years of your life you start to think that things are given to you or that you don't have to work hard for stuff you know I think that was the hardest part for my parents is watching me work hard right because they wanted to give you they wanted to just give it to me yeah do you find like kind of on that tangent like my my cousin in uh, in Edmonton she's got cerebral palsy she's in a chair Mm. and her her boyfriend uh, Corey He's, he's in a chair as well, and he purposely took the handles off the back of his chair because, you know, he's on the bus or, or stuff like that. He People will just try to help him. Oh, crazy. Right? Yeah. And so he doesn't want that. Yeah. Right? And so do you find that too where they're like that you had to navigate finding your own path and, and establishing yourself and but also taking that support? Like, Yeah. I, I think the transition, it, it like, really came at a nice time. Like... Um, that's a good question. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Like, so I got back into hockey, like right yeah. after everything, like learned, you know, I was like, I wasn't the best on the ice, but I definitely wasn't the worst on the ice, which was kind of sick. <laughs> but, you know, by high school, like these guys are starting to go for like teams in Ottawa and like junior and like it's turning into like a commitment that's just like insanity. So it was like, again, just a strategic, like adapting. Like I wasn't, I you know, I'm, I've been... I think I get it from my mom, but I'm not a Debbie Downer. So I was just like, well, you know what? What is something that I'm going to be quick at? That Like, what's going to give me the least disadvantage? And I was like, snowboarding. I was like, that's a gravity-fed sport. Like, you're turning left and right. Like, there is no... Like, if someone beats me with two legs in my head, there was, like, no excuse for me not to beat them with one leg. Right. So, like, it was kind of high school where I was like, you know, hockey's really not for me because, like, I can't... Unless I'm given a disadvantage or we're on a similar playing field, I'm always going to be shit, mm. um, no matter how many push-ups I do, you know? Yeah. Um, so then snowboarding was kind of like, and in high school, at high school level, I could keep up. I was actually winning some races. So it was just like, oh, sweet. Like, it's, uh, you know, no one sees my one leg because I'm wearing snow pants. Right. It's completely competitive, and I'm doing well on my own. And then just at the end of that, you know, like when it would have been starting to get on to like, some sort of pro program that I wouldn't have been able to compete with. It was like, oh, by the way, now you can go compete with people with disabilities mm-hmm. and like really see how you compare to other people with one leg. And I'm like, oh, snaps. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I think it's like, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm lucky. I get to wear pants. You know, my disability is pretty hard to spot. Um, and, and yeah, again, I think it like because my friends were so in the loop with it, like they never felt sorry for me. Like, 
you know, my friends have hidden my leg, you know, like, oh my God, like last year, like the amount of times my friend Jason, I have screamed at him because he's like taken me on some sort of boot pack mission that like I just can't handle. Um, yeah, my, so my friends are always pushing me out of my boundaries. They don't let me feel sorry for myself. Which is important, obviously. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I think to be able to joke about those things too, right? And then how were you introduced into snowboarding? Uh, so my mom was, a, my, my mom was a ski instructor. She has, I think a similar background to me. Like okay. she did ski instructing in Washington when she was a kid. And, yeah. you know, there's photos of her and my dad at Whistler like 40 years ago. Um, so she's always had like a connection to the ski industry. Um, so yeah, I've, I'd, I'd always grown up going to the ski hill and stuff, but hockey always took precedence over that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when hockey faded out, I was, I was 15 minutes away from a ski hill. Yeah, yeah. I had a little S10 truck and just threw my board in the back of that. That's and, great. You know, went out on my own time. It was super awesome. And my buddy had an S10 as well. It was yeah, like 92 S10. <laughs> yeah, I think his was, yeah, I forget how what his was. I remember. I've actually looked for them since because yeah. I'm like, I think that'd be a great truck. To right. I know. Yeah. Just super uh, nostalgic. Yeah. Did you have a separate prosthetic then for, for your boot? For your snowboard um, boots? Or I is, didn't like, at the time. Okay. It wasn't until I got into disabled snowboarding that I found out about all these adaptations that you can make to prosthetics and putting heel lifts in and, you know, different angles. So, yeah, now I have, like, a, a prosthetic that's fully set up for snowboarding. Right. And then getting into... Yeah. <laughs> getting into, like, for Team Canada Paralympics. Yep. What, what was that process and like like how did that evolve so um that was pretty sweet so like i kind of got on a fast track of that so because i had done competitive snowboarding for like four years in high school like i wouldn't say i was i had a competitive nature so like that was kind of like you know it wasn't going to take much to mold um discipline and a right. training program none of that was going like a diet that wasn't going to hit me by surprise yeah um you know, and then luckily there is a huge um, piece from you know the BC snowboard community had just moved to Ottawa. Her name's Cassandra Smith, and okay. she was trying to kind of do a little bit of a jump start with this uh, snowboard programs in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, yeah, we had met at the ski hill, and she found out about my artificial leg. And in 2011, that was the year after 2010. So all, there's all these legacy programs set up in Whistler to help young upcoming athletes like take advantage of the accommodation so imagine from the other side of things you have a 18 year old one-legged snowboarder who wants to go to the next paralympics like i had a lot of support to like get into whistler you know like um get to all the training camps you know like i spent 2011 2012 season on the development team okay you know and most athletes will spend you know you know, they could spend like four years on a development team, but mm-hmm. I spent like one year on it and then I was on, you know, the national team because, you know, it was a give and take. Like I was sticking to the training program and I was willing to move to Whistler and I was willing to like commit my life to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe some skill and some of the other stuff that was missing, they were willing to wait. Right. Um, and I'd say like my internal, from my internal perspective, it took till 2000, probably 14 for me to become like a national team athlete and since 2014 till now living the the true <laughs> like yeah it's like yeah i don't want to say it's a lifestyle because that sounds horribly snowboarder <laughs> but it's probably it's just like life. it's probably the same as you like you're never 
you're never a professional at something like the 10,000 hour rule. I honestly think it's about just jumping in with both feet. Mm. Like if you're making, if you're paying your bills, if you're living your life as a snowboarder, then like, yeah, you're, you're pro full in full yeah, commitment. Yeah. That's yeah. what it took in 2014. I was like, if I'm going to beat these guys, like in the United States or in Finland or, you know, wherever in the world that are training full time China right now, they're just like pumping out athletes. Like they're freaking crazy. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I got to, I got to figure out a way to like work as little as possible and train as much as possible so I can kick butt. And that's when you came to Whistler in 2013, 14, something like that? Uh, I came in 2011. 2011. 2011. And then, you know, I was kind of taking summers to go back to Ottawa. Right. And, you know, like I was working part time. And then like in 2014, basically like snowboarding became a full time job. Mm -hmm. So it was like going down to South America in the summers, going to Europe in the fall, North America during the winter, Asia in the spring. Like, (laughs) you know, like it was just like, you know, following the snow for four years. What's been your favorite place to, uh, to compete or what your most memorable competition even? Most memorable competition? Oh, that's an easy one. So, um... So that, that so that's at Big White. Um, it's a minute ago. It was 2013. Okay. Um, I was kind of coming off a bit of a hot streak. I had just gotten two podiums in the two World Cups leading up to it. And we were like coming into Canada. It was the last contest before the Paralympic Games. It was going to be the first Paralympic Games that snowboarding was ever at. And yeah, we were at Big White, which is in Kelowna, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. Um, for the people out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I ended up getting a, a bronze medal. Uh, like in Canada, last contest. Like I was the rookie on the team. Like no one had expectations for me. And man, oh man, I think, like if I got on the podium at three o'clock, I was blackout by probably three <laughs> thirty p.m. <laughs> My coach had to like drag me from the award ceremony home. <laughs> I it. snuck like a a Mickey of Captain Morgan's into my pocket, and we just like after the contest, if the hills still open, we'll obviously go shred for a little bit after. And right. Uh, yeah, that was so fun. And then the next so day... the most memorable, but also the least memorable. Oh, yeah. And then the next day, I'm, like, dying hungover. And, like, they've just announced, like, the first ever Canadian Paralympic snowboard team. Like, history has been made. And I'm, like, showing up to these interviews. And I'm, like, I must have smelled like a brewery. And, yeah, memorable, for sure. And so in terms of the Paralympic Games, have you competed on, like... Yep. Uh, no, so the Big White was the last World Cup. Um, in 2013. In 2013. Gotcha. And then, yeah, and then in 2014, March of 2014, we headed to Sochi, Russia. Sochi, right. So I got seventh um, in my debut. Okay. Um, and that was the top Canadian result, so that was pretty sweet. And then, yeah, uh, I also competed in South Korea in 2018, um, the sport progressed a lot from 2014 to 2018, so we actually had two events. Okay. Um, and I got a seventh in the one and an eighth in the other. So. Gotcha. Yeah, still well, in the top ten, which is always my goal. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Pretty yeah. stoked on it all. Are you looking to 2022 as well? I am. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely, you know, competitive sport is yeah. expensive. Right. And, you know, you spend a lot of time on the road and it's hard to maintain routines and relationships like with stuff that you haven't really developed beforehand. Like that's what I kind of noticed during COVID was like all my friends in Whistler are actually friends that I've made like from high school that have also moved out here. Like I haven't really added any new friends to the quiver um, since I've kind of taken because it's hard to like build a relationship and then just disappear for two months yeah Uh, you know what i mean like um so yeah it's you know 
30 is a weird line in the sand that people like to draw for whatever reason. Um, so as I approach that, like I'm just trying to be strategic about how I see my future unfolding. So as of right now, like I'm training, I'm mm -hmm. on the team, um, I'm working toward it. Uh, I think it would come down to financially if it's, I don't want to be paying off snowboard debt in my 30s, yeah. essentially. Is there is there funding from Team Canada? There or is, from Canada? Um, yeah. but like it makes for, sense for individuals for individual athletes. Individual or? athletes. Okay. So so there is funding. So there's it's kind of comes, kind of comes from two ways. But it's a good thing that I always like to explain because I've taken a lot of time to like learn about it mm. and because there's a lot of questions regarding like the funding in Canada and how it works. I think it's really fair because what athletes need to remember is there's some dude in Toronto working a nine to five and part of his tax money goes towards sport. Right. So it's like, okay, like, you know, you have to set your expectation kind of like, you know, he could be interested in anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So there's, there's, when it comes to supporting teams, there's this big organized. So the Canadian government allow, like depending on who's in government, you know, will allot, X million dollars for sport, right? Mm -hmm. The government doesn't have enough people or the knowledge to like distribute that money. So there's a so there's a there's a company called Own the Podium. And basically what this company does is they go around and they evaluate each sport in Canada mm -hmm. and give them let's say a number on 1 to 10 of the chances of them winning medals at the next game because that person in Toronto's tax money is going toward producing medals at games right so from that point all the numbers get shaken down and then each program gets a certain amount of money mm. when the programs have the money depending on that number that gives them a certain amount of cards to pay athletes so because snowboarding gets such a small amount of funding we get a small amount of cards but because i've done well like on the world cup stage because that's what it comes down to as results mm. is i get fifteen hundred dollars a month um, it's like a stipend mm. to put toward living, auto, y you know, food, all the things that I need. Um, right. You know, I'm still working a part-time job yeah. to, to make the other ends meet and then sponsorships and stuff to get me to like, um, yeah. And then our program, so so for, for our program, we pay for most of our, you know, we don't have to pay for our coach, which is awesome. Mm. And, you know, they cover a lot of things like when they can, mm. but basically it's, you know, because snowboarding is so new, we've, we've essentially had three opportunities to win a medal at the Paralympics. We had one in 2014, and then we had two at the two events in 2018, and we haven't produced a medal. If you look at something like skiing, they've been going to, even at the Paralympics, they've been going to the games since 73. You know, they have medals upon medals upon medals upon right. medals upon medals. So like, the snowball, like, it's a very long way of essentially, I'm a, we're essentially a pioneer in the sport. Yeah. And, you know, without uh, without people pioneering things, you know, I'm just trying to create, like, a, I want the program to be, be better when I leave it than it was when I got into it. Right. That's just, again, like, it's the reality. Yeah, do you see some of that progress happening? Oh, man, totally. Yeah. Like, Canada Snowboard, like, they've totally crushed it. They've done, like, an overhaul in the last 10 years of, like, basically their entire board throughout their whole organization mm. um they're a lot more aligned with snowboarding and um yeah it's cool it's, it's been really fun to be a part of everything 
Um, but sorry, that was a very long way of like yeah, no, no. the funding is definitely very variable from team to team. Makes sense. You know, you could talk to a ski athlete tomorrow and, you know, they wouldn't be paying for food or flights or anything. Right. You know, don't talk to a ski jump athlete because like, you know what I mean? I don't even know if they have a team in Canada anymore. Right. You, you know, so it yeah. really depends on um, the odds of that team producing medals. And is the if you win a medal, is there a reward or like a a little a bit cash like reward for that? Or uh, from... I think in Canada, and this is like regular Olympics, uh, not Paralympics. Yeah. I don't really know what it is for Paralympics, but I think it's like might be ten grand for a bronze, fifteen for a silver, and twenty for a, for gold. a gold. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you know, you're yeah. you're getting a Honda Civic. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll take but a Honda Honestly, Civic. if you talk to any any <laughs> athlete in Canada on a national team, is not doing it for the of money. Of course, like, yeah. You know, no, I've I mean? just I've always been curious about that though. I've yeah, yeah. heard rumors, but yeah, you know, you, you're you're better if you're an athlete. If you're a young up and coming athlete, you'd be more strategic to build sponsorships that have um, incentive incentives, mm-hmm. and then have like sign with Visa and make it like a million dollars if you win the gold. Right at the games. Okay, That's a little, have something little like tidbit that. for yeah. Have that in your contract. Up and coming riders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, no, sell yeah. it to them. Yeah, the odds are super low, but like it's still in <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. It's just like there you go. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in Whistler for 2010 while I was living here, and me and my dad had went up, and cool. I, they had a massive. I don't know. Were you? No, you, I would. I was like, yeah, I you was were just in. Tra- I just was like up. seventeen. I was yeah. just a little too young. Right. Yeah. So, and we watched. We watched. I forget her name. Actually, I sent her a message because I, I was wanting to get her on the podcast. Oh, she was cool. the first um, Canadian to win gold on home so- soil in the regular Olympics. Okay, Ma- Marison is it? She's snowboard cross. I think it was. Oh, uh, Myel Recker. Myel Recker. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. I was just hanging out with her for the last two weeks in Pano. I can get you her contact info if she hasn't contacted you back. Yeah, I. I I DM'd her on Instagram. I don't think she oh my probably gosh. uses She's it. not on Instagram, yeah. Well, yeah. She. I was just like, I wasn't expecting Did she it. message you back on no. Instagram? No. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about her. Because I, I remember I was with with my dad, and they had a massive screen at the bottom of, of the mountain at, yeah. at the village. Cyprus? Or was it No, in, Whistler. Yeah, in Whistler. Okay, Whistler. Cool. I don't know where she was competing. Yeah. Um, but we were skiing for the day or something. And, okay. and it was right in front of the Longhorn Saloon. They had this massive, like screen and it was a snowboard cross and everyone was the women's snowboard cross everyone was gathered around yeah and that was where we watched the first uh gold medal won on canadian soil and so i remember and she had flown through i remember seeing that and it was just like the energy was like unreal because it's you know snowing and yeah everyone's cheering and longhorns just going nuts right snowboarding and you're in whistler yeah like yeah, and so I had seen something actually with her recently, and then obviously talking to you, I was like, oh, I should reach out to her. But yeah, yeah well, no, you can... should definitely reach out to her. She's awesome. She like, she's yeah, she like, because I know who she is through snowboarding. And when I first met her, she was still on the national team, like still winning medals. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, is she is she local? Uh, yeah, she lives in she lives in Squamish or Pemberton okay. now. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she. Uh, she like remembered my name. Like I, re- I remember being like absolutely shocked. She was like, "Oh hey John, like how's it going?" Like at the start gate, we were in Nakiska, and I was like, 
Myel Ricker remembers who I am? Like, this is the craziest thing ever. That's great. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, anyway, uh, I, would, I, I would like to think to call her a friend now. So yeah, yeah uh, she's coaching the Canadian national uh, border cross team now. Okay. Yeah. So That's cool. Her and Jake Holden, who is also an ex-national um, team member. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. cool. What was Sochi like? Like, because that would have been your first Paralympic Games, yeah. right? Like, what was that like? Because I've heard, I've heard interesting, yeah, yeah. Russia stories for athletes. Probably, yeah, I'm probably on board with like the same stories that people heard or are telling. Yeah, it was interesting though, man. Like, you know, you go. So this is something fun that you probably know if you've done interviews before, but I had no idea. Is like the year before every Olympics, they do the Olympics like a dry run. Right, because okay. it's, it's a big TV show, so they right. they do a rehearsal the year before. So like, we went to Russia the year before, and so you get to see things while they're kind of still being developed. Right, and dude, it honestly, and it's not to talk any like, it looked like a freaking bomb went off on the shore of the Black Sea. It was like someone went in there, knocked on every single person's door, and was like, "Get out!" Really, they freaking floored it, and then just like built up this like village like they just forced people to work to like build stuff and and it was like it was kind of gnarly because the vibe from the the very much locals the year before was like they didn't want us there you know the year of the olympics i think they were like had paid actors in there or something you (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) um so yeah, so it was interesting. So so it was it really gave you an appreciation for like your freedom and you know some of the things that we take for granted. Uh, you know, it was like you know I still did laugh at some of the things that were happening. Like my shower head and my room faced out. So like and there's no drain like anywhere. So like every morning before I showered, I'd get like four towels and throw it on the ground, and then just like turn on the shower and like as soon as it was like not freezing cold like jump in there and start to try and deflect my like because it was like it should have been this way but it was like this way like right. it just shot right out like right Into out the, the door yeah no like right against the shower curtain like right. it was like you had to like open the shower curtain to like turn it on <laughs> shut like the shower curtain and then it was like you could hear it against it like spraying on the floor underneath it and then yeah, and then you like hop in and try your best. Anyway, so but like at the same time, you're like, this is probably because they got an electrician to like plumb this bathroom. I, I like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it was really cool. Were to you represent. rooming with like a couple other people, or was it? Uh, was I it had just... one roommate. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. My teammate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We just dealt with the water in our bathroom. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, the locals were really nice, like, like in terms of, they were nice when you took the time to, like, get to know them, and when they saw that, you know, you weren't trying to be, like, malicious, or come yeah. in and, like, use their land, or whatever. Um, it was quite a contrast to, like, South Korea, which they were very, very friendly, and, like, you know, like, you weren't allowed to have, like, your cell phone out anywhere near a police officer in Russia, Right, because like, they—if you were even—if they even thought that you were taking a photo of them, they would take your phone. Really? Eh? Yeah. Whereas in like South Korea, like I could have taken the guy's hat, put it on my <laughs> head, had both my arms around them, and like taken a photo. You right. know, like the Koreans were, you know, really stoked to have the world come. No you know, they were like open arms. They had their crap together in terms of building the facilities and. Right. Um, 
yeah, it, it was an interesting contrast, but you know, it didn't take away from the pride of like representing Canada at like the, like that's something crazy that again, like it just keeps like, as I get older, like it's like, holy snaps, like for disabled snowboarding in Canada, I got to do like one of the craziest things. Like I was at the first Paralympic games for snowboarding, like damn. That's pretty unreal. Like. It's pretty cool. What like, was it like, like when you, because you did the whole opening ceremony stuff too, yeah. right? Where they all come out and you're looking around and there's like this stadium. Yeah, it's like 50,000 yeah. people, like just absolutely going hectic. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's exactly what you get all this training beforehand for. And you're sitting through all these training things like, there's no way, there's no way. And then you get there and they're like, oh, this is why they said we were going to be overwhelmed. Ah, like... Mm. So it was cool, but you soak it all in. Like, we're lucky in Canada. We focus on, like, the whole spectrum of the athlete, let's say. So it's like, you know, we work with a sports psychologist and, like, a nutritionist. So, like, my sports psychologist and I were all about just, like, let's make memories to, like, look back on. You know what I mean? They're like, don't be going into opening ceremonies thinking about your race. Like, enjoy opening ceremonies. So, like, it was a really good piece of advice to get, like, when I showed up at the front door of Sochi. Um, so I have a lot of really fond memories of like, I, I really remember opening ceremonies. Like I really remember closing ceremonies. Um, like I remember like Canadians are pretty popular around the world. Mm. Like I would say if, you know how I'm like a sense fan, but I'll like, but I'll, I've been also cheering for Winnipeg. Yeah. So it's like, everyone is going to be their original country fan, yeah. right? They're always going to, if you're Japanese, you're always going to cheer for Japanese if it's a Japanese person. Right. But if it's like some other country versus Canada, everyone cheers for Canada for some reason. Yeah. I've seen some of that. Just yeah. like watching TV and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, so it was like in Russia, dude, they, they had, they had the most, that, that was the biggest um, audience that I've, I've ever got to like ride in front of. Right. Um, so they had 10,000 people packed into the stands and it was like, I was like the first Canadian to get announced and like, I'm like up a ski hill and I can feel like the vibrations through the start gate from the crowd, like yelling and like, I can hear like the roar. It's not like, a, like it's a roar comes up the hill and I'm like, snaps like that's pretty this cool, is like. not competing in big white in front of my mom like <laughs> <laughs> that's unreal eh? yeah it was really cool yeah i think i've always like had like growing up you know playing hockey and stuff too it's like walking out of the out of the tunnel yeah you know at you know rexall or whatever it was at the time and, yeah. and these kinds of things that you think about or you know kids think about so to have that experience i remember watching like people come out in opening ceremonies and stuff and and just looking around like yeah, like what, what, is this like what is a thing real? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's unreal. Totally. It was super cool. And then like not to like switch subjects, but like it was also really really cool cuz I got to go to like X Games too. Right. Which was like as a snowboarder, X Games was has always included snowboarding. Mm. It what like it took a while for the Olympics, so as a core snowboarder, you know, the opportunity to go to X Games was also like oh snaps you know what i mean like there's people from facebook here like verifying you and i have like a vip band and it's like you know you're like going out to concerts every night and drinking (laughs) and you're just like living what you've seen on tv and you're just like i can't believe i'm a part of this like you know and yeah to circle around like you have those great experiences and now as like i go into my 30s i'm like like we said before, how do I create, how do I make sure that this program is still in place for the next up and coming athletes or, you know, and right. hopefully make it better? Yeah. 
So. When when you're out like partying and stuff at the nights, like it, it, does everyone kind of get together and do that? Like, or is there like, oh, yeah. or is there some tough competition? Like, what's the word? Is there some not, gamesmanship, or is like off the hill? Everyone like not competition not in, is not friendly. In, not in snow sport. No. Okay. Like, okay. like I don't know. Not to talk smack, but like hockey, like might be different <laughs> like yeah. you know but for the most part like skiers and snowboarders are friends americans and u.s and japanese and yeah you know it, it's this really cool mindset because i think snowboarding no matter if it's disabled snowboarding or slope stall snowboarding or snowboard racing or whatever it is you know we've always had to come together as a team not to say against skiing but basically against skiing to get into shit mm. you know what i mean if it was just like one group of snowboarders versus another group if snowboarders were always fighting each other we would have never been able to win the battle against the skiers or fists yeah you know what i mean so it was like i think that mentality has continued on like i remember like when we were trying to get snowboarding into the paralympics it was like i came into the end of that journey but it was like the Americans were helping the Canadians and the Canadians are helping the Spanish because it's just like, if we don't get this sport to, cause you know, there's, you have to have a certain amount of countries. You have to have a certain amount of athletes. Right. You have to have a certain amount of all these little things. And if you, yeah, anyway, so snowboarding has a lot of camaraderie. Um, and like, we just want to, you will hear every snowboarder say this, like we want to just see the sport progress. <laughs> like, yeah. Grow the, grow the game. Yeah. Bro, yeah. Bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just kind of going back to Sochi, and you said it really put things into perspective, mm-hmm. being a Canadian and, and having these freedoms and luxuries that we have. You obviously having part of your leg amputated, and I'm, I will tie this together. It's like, do you ever find when people are like, people might be complaining, whether it's in front of you or in general, mm-hmm. just going what you've gone through personally with your leg and even being in Sochi and stuff and experiencing these things where other people may have not, and they're complaining, like, do you ever just go like, like, what's your reaction to that? Because it's taken me a long time to like, you know, develop the way that I want to react to that question because, you know, immediately and like when you're young and immature, like the reaction is like, you know, don't complain. Like, what do you have to complain about? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'd say that like every single person, if you can, if you apply the theory that every single person is dealing with some sort of hardship in terms whether it's cancer or depression or you know a disease that you can't see or whatever if like that's what i take it is like you're dealing with something like that but i'm still gonna say like you know that doesn't give you an excuse to not f- live a fulfilling life mm-hmm. whatever that is for you um so you, you know like i try to lead by example now instead of like having to explain to people like hey you're really lucky i just go you know you know every single morning i still have to do my little foot stretches and put on an artificial leg but like that's just my shit you know like you're gonna have your shit and just you know like yeah i just try to yeah lead by example yeah (laughs) i was gonna say it's almost more of a personal growth moment for you even right like yeah. from a personal person this is kind of what you're saying too where you it's like it's not about the other person having to realize anything or come to terms but you don't use it for yourself like yeah like i can't i can't spoon feed someone but like you know i can just like lead by example and, yeah. and try and put the message out there that it's like um 
yeah, like, yeah, I've seen, a, I've seen people f- like figure it out. Like I figured like, yeah, like yeah. excuses are, I think it's more of a mental barrier um, than anything. Yeah. You know, start small, you know, figure out what your pillars are. For me, it's like friends, family, community, you know, like, you know, use those pillars in times of need, give back to those pillars when you're able to. And uh, I don't know, that, that's where I would start. <laughs> you know yeah. the no excuse process yeah definitely <laughs> where, where do you think according to you what's your current perception on on like the progression of Paralympic Games moving forward and and maybe the attention it gets or doesn't get or what could be improved or what you know if if, if anything good question I think my theory has always been Whatever you apply to regular world, you know, in some sort of ratio or percentage applies to like the para world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't say it's a problem with para sport. I'd say it's a problem with all sport is we're kind of living in an unrealistic. Like we're going to build every four years a new facility like for Olympics and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know. It's. I think we really need to scale down the expectations that we're putting on athletes and countries to facilitate sport mm. and 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 try and make it a more you know efficient thing. Um, otherwise, it's so grandiose almost. It's so it's so yeah. It's like you know we should just have like you know in my opinion like I think Vancouver or Calgary would be just a great Winter Olympic venue Hmm. so it's like every eight years we host a winter olympics we use the money to update our facilities canadian athletes international athletes have access to the facilities Mm -hmm. and it's like you know it's being reused repurposed and then it's like the money that canada has can be put put into the programs and you know what i mean like um well i just read too i think there was a was it the Olympic Committee to to ask someone, or there was another bid potentially going into Vancouver twenty thirty? Oh, really? Yeah, yes. so, yeah. Which like, it's cool, but it's like just pick like just like stick to one city. Yeah, like, just pick one city, keep the facilities nice, and then again, and then other things too. Like, and I don't want to talk talk smack about like the Olympics and Paralympics, but it's like you go there and there's vending machines everywhere with like bottles. It's like what day and age are we living in? It's like, we should be recycling. Everyone, mm. I'm an athlete. You should give me an, a Nalgene or some sort of reusable bottle when I show up to the Olympics with the, with the Paralympic logos on it and then have refill stations. Mm. Man, put Gatorade in the refill stations if you really want to. But it's like, you see it with, you know, I like to think of myself as, you know, I've been really lucky to be educated. I think I see a lot of the problems that are happening in the world. I'm not an expert by any means, but it's like, it, it's pretty far off to the other side of like the way the world's kind of going right now. Mm. And I feel like all, I think like the Olympics and Paralympics need to align better with the modern world that we live in. Interesting. And if they, if they want it to survive. And I guess, so, you know, maybe on that same wavelength, like when someone says, cause I know when, when the Olympics came here in 2010, there, it was, as it is probably everywhere, but particularly here is very controversial for probably some of those reasons in certain parties or certain groups, right? Do you like you still think it's 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 a great event and and it's awesome mm-hmm. to to have? 
I think so. What about the other camp, which is like, I don't want any of my taxpayer dollars going here. Oh, I completely agree with that 100%. I was like absolutely blown away that 50% of Calgary didn't think that an Olympics was like good for the city Mm because I'm obviously very biased and I would be willing to have an open conversation with someone to say it wouldn't benefit the city just from what I know. But that just shows me there's a huge disconnect between athletes and the community Mm. and honestly it was that year that was the year that i started my non-for-profit and i was just like i'm not trying to be a hero but if even 50 percent of athletes it should be it should be in our contracts as canadian national team athletes to have to put a certain amount of days back into the community right otherwise the community is never going to see the tie contract yeah they're never going to see where their tax money is going you know what i mean like you know if the dude in toronto's kid had some you know four of the national team speed skaters come out to their school for the week and do a bunch of gym exercises and stuff and they're coming home and telling them it's like oh you know like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden like if that had been happening in calgary since the last olympics Mm -hmm. uh, it had grown into their culture like wow look at this look at like what happened we had an olympics and then just bam like it got rooted into our community and like where it stretched like that didn't happen so like or maybe it did and that's just the way they feel but i i think that there were i think there's a disconnect between you know the taxpayer and seeing their tax money at work Mm. because there's athletes everywhere like if you had like if you had like a tinder for athletes or something like there would be like so many within our you know radius right now and it's just like I don't know if it's because it's not an obligation, like in a contract or what it is, but for me personally, I would like to see more athletes getting involved in the community. And then on that note, you know, opportunities for athletes to be able to do that confidently and like share on a platform that they want to share on. I mentioned too, like NHL contracts, I think are something, I'm sure NBA, NFL, all these ones, but I think yeah. they, they're a lot, they, according to the contract, they have to spend Oh, do they? Or they have to start a nonprofit. I think. I've oh, heard cool. this. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But so something like that would at least give, you're saying, the taxpayer some tangible... Yeah, like, don't have... I mean, you can if you want, but it's like, after the Olympics, don't have, like, a parade through downtown Vancouver with all the athletes, like, on their high horse. You know what I mean? Like, create these, like... I don't know. They did this really cool one after 2014 where, like, they sent all the athletes to Ottawa... And then one of the days we just like, we went to like 500 schools between all the athletes, just like, bam, like went to all the schools and all these schools were a part of the like post Olympic celebration. And like, I thought that was really cool because like, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting every single person to be phoning schools every single night after training being like, Hey, can I come say a speech? Yeah. You know, like there yeah. kind of has to be a pathway for that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I kind of got lost on a tangent. There. No, no, no. That's, no, that's interesting. Um, what's your nonprofit all about? Uh, so it's called Loving Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, like my vision is to see skiing and snowboarding incorporated in the Canadian public education system. And yeah, so basically, like break that down into smaller objectives. Uh, so I just I try to work with as many schools. I, I try to work with as many physical education teachers as I can mm-hmm. to build program like one week programs for schools cool yeah so like 
North Vancouver is a great example where these schools are going on weekly trips to Mount Seymour. They have ski trips planned throughout the year, but like, you know, they're not taking any opportunity to like learn how to put on a binding in the class or like what's a left ski boot, what's a right ski boot. Like for, for someone like me, this is easy. It, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's the same as my hand. Yeah. But if you're, if, if you know, if you're a family that's immigrated to Canada and your parents weren't into snow sports and, and you're, you're 10, like they're going to end up making getting made fun of because they put the wrong ski boot on the wrong foot and then it's going to you know turn into a negative thing or like even worse is when you see like COP is a tough one because it's so cold there you see kids from families that have um, come from outside of Canada and they don't show up to the right equipment and then they're sitting in the cafeteria all day yeah. they're not allowed to participate because it's too cold right. it's like why don't you take one day in gym class to like look at the kids look all your students equipment mm. you know yeah. so that's what we do we, do. we cool. go in we get the kids doing like basic balance and agility drills um we teach them some of the safety we go through their equipment and we just like have this super fun week um strategically before a ski trip that's great yeah cool would you start that uh two years ago two years ago yeah right yeah, right it's on. small. It's just me. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. just, you know, it's it's more of a. I call it a non-for-profit. It's like more of a passion project. Right. Like I end up putting more of my own money into it than, but you know, it's something I really believe in. And when I think about like legacy and the mark that I want to leave on this world is like, if by the time I'm gone, you know, we live in Canada. We have mm. nine months of winter a year, and if you were to lay a map of every city in Canada on top of every ski hill in Canada, like use Vancouver as an example. We have three ski hills within 4 million people. Yeah. So it's like the fact that it's not part of like in Australia, swimming is part of their public education system. Right. I think that winter sport should be a part of ours. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, I think that's a sound argument. Yeah. Yeah. I know growing up in Edmonton, we didn't quite have mountains like this, but But you still have Rabbit Hill. Yeah, Rabbit Hill. Like, I was going I was going to say Dude, Rabbit. I work in Edmonton. Edmonton's another great hub. Like yeah. freaking cuz and, and every single dude, every single day at Rabbit Hill, ski schools, buses going in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember and all these kids totally unprepared, well, not all of them, but like you know, I'm not trying to create national team athletes. I just want weekend warriors. Yeah. Like, I don't want to see the ski and snowboard industry die. And, yeah. you know, when we were talking about, like, the Olympics and the way I see it going and, like, Paralympic and able body is, like, I want to see more people enjoying disabled sport. Mm-hmm. And I think that the key to that is to see more more people enjoying winter sport. Right. You see more people enjoying winter sport, and that just translates into more disabled people enjoying winter mm-hmm. sport. So that's interesting because I haven't had this conversation with anyone, and maybe I, you know I will down the road. But you know, I've listened to conversations about like men's hockey, women's hockey, mm-hmm. using hockey as a because I it's what I know more of. Um, like, why does men's hockey get more attention, and and women's hockey doesn't? And what are the ways you can you can make that better? Right, and I think that's kind of the same wavelength, right? And I would agree. I'd say there's a lot of that in para. Is like, there's a lot of argument of like, you know, why isn't a Paralympic gold medal when we talked about the award thing? Mm. Like the U.S. I don't know if you heard last year. They there's a big announcement that Paralympic medals now get paid the same amount as Olympic medals. But I don't know, man. I'm open to the argument of why. Right. Like, you know, para sport isn't pulling in the numbers that regular sport does like you know what i mean like 
that's just the reality, yeah. man. Like, you got to know how the world works. Like, if people are going to make money, they need to sell a product. And to sell a product, the product has to be good. Like, yeah. So I think, though, that, like, what people are missing is either room for strategy or motivation to make change. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think in parasport, we have a really good storytelling opportunity. So it's like, for me, I'm, I never saw myself as a, the best or I never saw myself as, like, a pro snowboarder I saw myself as someone who's involved in the community mm-hmm. you know what I mean and that's how I work with sponsors and you know I don't have Nike signing me or anything like that but I have like cool brands that were like you know so I think it's about being strategic and not having your head up your ass yeah. you, you know what I mean like I mean if we lived in a completely fair world that would be great but it's not. It's you, not the case. <laughs> do you think there could be a time when they're equal or cl- like they get equal exposure or close to equal? I like, think so, but I, I think it would look completely different. Yeah. I what think, do you think it would look like? I, I think it would. I think it would have to go more into the storytelling. Like, right, right. Like if I were, if we're talking about Olympics versus Paralympics right now, mm. I think the Olympics is a great sporting event for that purpose. So like when you're watching the hockey game or the wet, like more sports style, like mm. if you're watching TSN, that's what I think of the Olympics. Right. When I think of the Paralympics, what would work well for us? Have you seen like Drive to Survive on Netflix? No. The F1 thing? I see us being like a Netflix documentary. Right. You know, where they, they dive into each sport, they spend a little bit of time talking about these athletes and these crazy things that they've had to overcome. Mm-hmm. And then a very small section would actually be dedicated to like watching the sport right um so there'd be more storytelling involved mm-hmm. that's just my personal opinion right um, yeah that's interesting um I, I just i don't see it looking the same and that's i think that's where potentially people run into error is like you know like yeah like they're trying to play on the same playing field and it's just like well you have to you have to play on different playing fields you know it could still um you could still net the same revenue yeah but you just have to play on different playing just fields. go into different methods yeah, yeah that's interesting on a separate tangent i don't know if we were rolling or not like whistler and covid and it was busy locals getting kind of you know yeah and whistler's that as long as i can remember whistler's been that kind of a town like a tourist town yeah right you know and i mean i'm not like i'm i'm 27 it's yeah like i thought that i been around a long time but i just read about the, this new ski resort in squamish did you read about that that's been approved it's did like, it get approved i thought it got approved yeah Maybe i saw didn't. i did see something floating around on the whistle buy and sell about that. let's say it did or didn't regardless yeah. let's say it's in the works yeah the multi-billion dollar ski resort and i know there's there's locals there from various communities that probably would be opposed to something like this yeah what are your thoughts on that when what would it mean one for whistler I mean, you've been in Whistler long enough as somewhat of a local. Like, is this is this good for commerce? Is this good for people? Is this good for locals? I I mean, ooh, this is a this is an interesting subject. I think I would have to know more about it. Yeah. My personal call it arrogant doesn't have a good pulse on what's going on in the world i'd love to see a second ski hill yeah in the sea to sky corridor yeah i think it would really help just you know spread like how many people you know uh you know more opportunity for jobs education mm-hmm. whatever those positive spin-offs are when you're living in make-believe fairyland yeah i think and this is just 
a current trend in my life right now is I'm trying to gain a lot more knowledge on like uh, the indigenous land mm-hmm. and you know um, keeping all of that into like perspective Agreed. so like I don't know where they're building that would be my main thing is if they're planning on building this on like reservation land it would be an immediate no yeah. um, or if they haven't had talks with like the local community or if they don't I, I don't know but yeah. that would be my biggest that's what I'm trying to educate myself in the most is I call Whistler home I, first, I see myself living in the Sea of Sky corridor for the foreseeable future but dude I have zero education on the history and the culture here yeah. and it really bums me out yeah yeah, me too, and I think that's kind of where it comes from. And I, you know, I, we don't have to get into it. And I didn't really. I was just kind of curious yeah, yeah. Your thoughts, but that would be right? my ba- like, like, yeah, selfish John that doesn't have a care in the world, and yeah. like, you know, like, yeah, let's build a second ski hill, totally. Yeah. You know, I would have to look a little bit more into like the environmental impact and you know the cultural impact it's having, like, mm-hmm. you know. Again, like it's it's sort of like the thing we're talking about with the Olympics and stuff like that. Like, is that sustainable in today's modern world? You know, yeah. or should we be trying to create more mountains similar to like Shane's Mountain? Have you heard Shane's no. up in um, Terrace? No. So it's just a community-run mountain. Okay. So everyone that buys a se- seasons pass is like a part owner, mm. like. You know, when they got to do maintenance, they just get a few of the boys from around town to go up there with chainsaws. Like, uh, you know, it's it's a lot more slack country and stuff, but it's like, it's sustainable. It yeah. like, makes sense. Like, yeah. Do you think that that's scalable to to a res- like resort? I mean, it wouldn't be a resort at that point. Yeah, I, I guess. guess it's not. Do you a know what I mean? Anymore. But like, could something like that operate at, at the scale in Squamish? Or? I think that is already happening in in Squamish like I think if they just like like Smithers is a really really cool spot for that too is they have Hudson Bay Mountain but they have all this slack country that's like super well mapped out like it's not like they get a little bit of vibe in the Sea to Sky Corridor of like all these secret spots Mm. you know you know let's not let people go there you know and then it's like making people that are trying to be adventurous and try like you know get into dangerous situations where like we walked like I walked into the snowboard shop in Smithers and like I was asking them about their slack country and normally if you were to do that anywhere like oh we're not going to tell you about our secret spot oh just go ride the mountain you know what I mean and they were like oh dude like come check out this map they laid (laughs) the map out for me they were like showing me the good zones like they have all these like marked trailheads and it was like really really cool like I was just like oh sweet like you know, it's it's human powered when you're, you're when you're split boarding. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. And again, that's my hippy dippy version. Like, I get I get we have an economy. Like, the world still needs to spin. We need to see some jobs. But like, I, I think that like I think the world's changing. And you know, I think old ways of think. I think we have to be creative when we're thinking about like when we think about ski resorts. I don't think we should be thinking like interwest tromblant yeah you know what i mean like that's so i mean like i'm not planning on having a job to make that much money to yeah. enjoy a place like that you yeah. know what i mean like do you think the prices in whistler are on par for no. what they should be like I, let's just say for skiing gosh like, i mean i don't think i don't so. even know what the cost of living I think is like, there right now too i think it's probably well cost of living's crazy but you know you get to live in whistler yeah. I, i'll always argue that like 
Whistler's really expensive when you try to do everything. Like if you're trying to have a gym membership and like a dog and a car and a snowmobile and have a one bedroom and work part time, like yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be expensive. Like you know what I mean? Like that's you live just outside of Edmonton if you wanted to do all yeah, that, right? Exactly. Like yeah, Whistler's fine if all you want to do is ski. Mm. Like it's great for that. Um, uh, yeah, ticket price is pretty much two hundred dollars, I think. For a day day pass. For a day pass, I just I, again, I think it makes it un. It doesn't turn it in. It turns it into a one percent sport instead yeah. of like a a thing that as Canadian, like I said, like we have nine nine months of winter. We're exposed to this. This is this is like our mountains are an Australian's ocean. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know, in Australia, you're not getting charged to jump in the water and go surfing. So the fact that like there's families or people that are not able to enjoy this sport because it costs that much money, like yeah, I think there could be a meet in the middle. I agree, and I think I, I know once again I'll go back to hockey. I'm just on <laughs> yeah. record here, but I know hockey is an extremely expensive sport yeah. for, for families and for kids, and let alone to go to a hockey game. And I know it's different. You know, you go to a baseball game in the states, like. You know, it's like the price of a beer or some tickets, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah. your beer costs more than your ticket. I was gonna say, I think they had like a, I saw that one time. It was like a beer, a hot dog, your ticket, and T-shirt. And it was like fifteen dollars. I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's probably for all that and fam- take your family to a hockey game. It's fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Or to take them on the ski hill, yeah. the Whistler, right? But I guess that's is 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 that just because there's more incentive placed on the tourist, or or that kind of. In a Aspect spot like Whistler, then, for sure. Yeah. And that's, I guess, maybe, like, when you ask the question about the spot in, in Squamish, like, if we're just going to put in another version of Whistler, like, I don't know how much, like, we need to see more Mount Seymour's yeah. in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, locally owned, you know, like, just, they're, they're solid earth people there. Like, yeah. you know, I'd love to see something like that in Squamish, because, like, Squamish is a lot more of a local, like, that's where people that have done their days in Whistler, you know what I mean? They go to, they, they end up falling to like Pemberton or Squamish to right. like, to be able to buy a house and to be able to like live a little bit more of just, not just a ski bum lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's like to have, you know, a spot there for them to be able to like go out on Bunny Hill with their kids and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. let's see some night skiing go in somewhere. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. You Cause know. there's no, there's no lights on Whistler, is there? No, there's no light. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, again, it makes it hard for, mom or dad to take their kids out after work and then it just turns into this weekend warrior shit show where Line it's just time. like yeah, yeah but where it's just like yeah you you take one look at whistler on a weekend and you're like that's a tourist you yeah. know what i mean and it could just be like you know your mom and dad from pemberton who finally have a day off trying to take their kid out for skiing yeah yeah um yeah i, I forget what i was gonna say i wasn't it was just a, it was just a tangent on that it wasn't even really important uh, yeah. i guess i was gonna ask what what you've got going on and right now and yeah and some plans for the future or if you want to totally like do, some, do a little pull plug. some plugs yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah i definitely came into this with a little plug yeah um I, I wanted to like first like just definitely take the opportunity to thank you guys like ben and dylan for having me yeah man. um yeah thanks for coming out i think i mean not to toot my own horn but i think one of the reasons why you know maybe i stood out to you is you know it's cool seeing people thinking outside of the box during all this COVID stuff. You know, when times are hard, I've been seeing two types of people. The people that are 
going with it, you know, hustling, grinding, figuring out a way to make this possible, um, and people not so much. And you know, when I took some time to look into the media company, and like, you know, the, the most powerful story for me was with the woman playing the saxophone, okay. I believe, and having the people come out. And it's just such a good reminder in you know everything that's going on in the world how such a small simple thing can make such a positive, impactful, you know, moment for someone else. Um, so you know, I, I am striving for do that to do that, and there's nothing special about me. You know, I'm just some one-legged dude that snowboards. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still struggling, struggling to take my dog out for walk, paying rent, cell phone bills. I got all that stuff going on. Um, so thank you for letting me come down and like share what I'm up to. This is like a great amplifier. And, you know, in terms of like day to day, like I'm just, like we said at the start, like reconnecting with my local community, um, you know, doing fundraisers for the hospital where I was treated at like 18 years ago and like um, doing stuff with the Terry Fox Foundation and yeah. And to the people out there, you know, take the opportunity. If you can make the person walking down the street smile, you know, take the opportunity to do that now. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. And you know, these, these pieces are really cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming, man. I mean, like you said, I, I appreciate it and I appreciate you making the trip and like, yeah. it was great getting to know I you. I mean, the weather ended up being pretty damn nice today. Like, not bad, dude, I, I got to drive, like I was just ocean mountains, like every 50 kilometers, it got to like four degrees warmer in the car. I was like, <laughs> sick. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll link a bunch of your stuff in the descriptions and okay. stuff too, but if, if there's anything that uh, you want to add in there. On, on audio yeah no I mean just like you know my website um, for my non-for-profit is lovingwinter.org um, if you want to follow me and what I'm up to the best spot for that is my Instagram which is du John Leslie awesome man yeah John cool. I appreciate your time thanks, yeah thanks bud. for having me dude Cheers. Each episode of Ethnoform is available to watch in full on YouTube as well. You can check us out on Medium for original written content at EthnoVancouver. And if you want to keep up with Ethno day to day, follow us on Instagram at ethno.official. Thanks for listening.